Yeah, yeah, yeah. can finally play the game. You take the lead. I mean, it's 
they did everything they they were supposed to do to hold on to that game. Um, and, and yeah, just the symmetry of, of the way that played out was, was was fascinating. And I don't know if you saw all the Bengals players take to Twitter saying that they could go to sleep and rest easy. <laughs> Pittsburgh was knocked out. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. And hats off to Titan Man for being a man of his word and giving uh, Antonio Brown that apology. And as good as that was for my partner over here, that was just one of the four games we had going on. Uh, did you watch Kansas City, New England? I did. I did. Um, and back to what we talked about, you know, I, I just can't take Alex Smith over Tom Brady, and, and it showed. But the other piece of that is, you know, Justin Houston didn't play most of that game, really. And when he was out there, you could tell that he was really just, just hobbled. And if you can't get Tom Brady off his spot, then he's going to pick you apart. Um they got Edelman back, and you can see he had a little rust. But, you know, now they got a week to knock that rust off, and then Gronkowski is just Gronkowski. And I, and it, I didn't, that didn't um, shock me in any way, shape, or form with the way that game went. I thought that New England would probably win. I was shocked at how close Kansas City kept it for the majority of that game, to tell you the truth. That game didn't really get out of hand, and the numbers didn't really tell the story of that game. For the most part, it was a bit of a back-and-forth affair. One team would drive, and the other would. Um but Brady and Gronk, I mean, those were the two the two number one players on the field. And uh, you said it, and it really just goes to show how important Justin Houston is to Kansas City defense because at this point, Tom Holly is just a specter. He is just a ghost. <laughs> yeah, and you really need him there. And it's going to be interesting for them in that offseason. We talked about some of those uh, – acquisitions uh, that the Falcons should get, having um, Derek Johnson and I think Justin Houston are both going to be free agents. Uh, um, and in that game also, you know, it's a difference between field goals and touchdowns in the beginning. You know, New England was able to get in the end zone and, and Kansas City wasn't. And, you know, instead of being 14-14, it was 14-6. But can you tell me um, what your boy Andy Reid was doing? Because that, you know, hurry up drive to try to get a, a quick touchdown and get the ball back, that took like six minutes. You know, it was like 12 plays, 6-minute drive to get in the end zone. I was sitting like, Andy Reid, dude, what are you doing? That is not a hurry-up offense. He ran that like that was the first quarter. That's a hurry-up for Andy Reid. Have you seen that guy? I'm surprised he can <laughs> actually call play in there without taking a breath. Have you ever heard him do an interview? <laughs> yeah, I just I just was sitting there like, you know, and cue all the Eagles fans just nodding their hair like, yep, we've seen this before. Uh, yeah. And especially in that Super Bowl where we had a chance and we blew it. Andy Reid in the playoffs. Yeah, man, that was that was crazy to me. And that's just the AFC side. And uh, before I get into the gloating aspect, we're going to talk about uh, I was shocked <laughs> at this game, Arizona and Green Bay. I thought Arizona would win. I did call that, but I didn't. I had no idea they would have this much trouble with Green Bay. And Carson Palmer, frankly, for all the accolades we gave him last week, and we gave a lot, he played horribly. He had he had what two interceptions and he could have had at least three more. I mean, it was just not a good game for the Arizona quarterback. Yeah, and the thing about it is sometimes when you know, and we saw earlier with that Seattle Minnesota game, when one team just embarrasses the other one and they see him again, that second game is always a lot closer because you got to have some pride. He's a grown man playing football, and they and both of those teams got embarrassed. Uh, so I wasn't surprised it was that close. But yeah, Carson and that. Um, Interception in the end zone to Casey Hayward. I mean, that was just egregious. You got to throw that ball closer to the pylon and give your man a chance to go get it. Um, but it's still it's still a big game for him too because you got to remember he played those games in Cincinnati. They weren't always you know on that run that Cincinnati's on now. He got his knee shredded against Pittsburgh. He didn't have a whole lot of playoff experience. And that was his first playoff victory. So 
just something to be said for him having a little bit of jitters. And, and, and Aaron Rodgers the past two weeks, I'm just wondering, where has that been all year? You know, uh, I mean, he, he just has come to life. And my man, Eddie Lacy, looking like a refrigerator. He, 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 he looked like he was like, somebody, please just tackle me. Please tackle me so I just don't fall down and embarrass myself. I mean, it was great to break free. And then, you know, I mean, he just ran out of gas, dude. He had the end zone. That 60-yard run? Yeah. It, it was sad. They listed him at 234. He is 234 the way I am, 165. <laughs> yeah, that dude is uh, – he, he, he's no longer – That dude is pushing 250. And he might be pushing 260, bro. And McCarthy called him out so he cannot <laughs> come back next year that way. And uh, on a side note, you know, I, I mean, I really felt bad for Randall Cobb because um, he had to stay overnight in the hospital. Uh, he made the catch, and it didn't count. But uh, he has a, a serious chest injury, and I don't think they've released all the details. But, you know, when you have to stay overnight for monitoring, you know, that's pretty serious. It's never a good sign. Exactly. And I, I'd be, um, you know, remiss not to mention uh, Larry Fitzgerald in that game. He put the Cardinals on his back uh, in that overtime late in that fourth quarter. And, you know, he's trying to get him a ring. He's trying to get that team to the next level. Uh, and that was just an amazing performance. But, you know, between him and Aaron Rodgers with another Hail Mary, like how do you get two in the same season? Uh, I mean, some franchises won't get two ever. He got two in the same season. Aaron Rodgers, I mean, these past few games have been – and I was talking about this with a couple guys at work. What separates Rodgers from really being one of the best ever and why I hadn't put him ahead of Favre right now is for the amount of talent that Aaron has, and he is the most talented quarterback in the game. He's a little too reticent to throw into double and triple coverage, and I think that has been what has held him back from really being an all-timer. Um, but if he continues down this road of being aggressive and willing to take these types of chances, then that is a scary proposition for the rest of the league. He got Jeff Janis 150 yeah. yards. Jeff Janis. And if you were paying attention <laughs> to Twitter and you followed Chuck <laughs> Oliver, you saw his tweet. I know you didn't see it, so I'll go ahead and kind of paraphrase. It said Aaron Rodgers' top three receivers and only three receivers. Slow number two, <laughs> popping James Jones, no foot, and Whitey McBackup. Wow, that Whitey, Whitey McBackup. McBackup, Jared Aberderis, mm-hmm. who, by the way, is as slow foot as it gets, came out of Wisconsin, so I should tell you that he's big, nowhere near uh, fast or athletic. With a big chance Just, to end uh, up. <laughs> But they couldn't go to a four-wide set because they didn't have four wide receivers anymore. I mean, it's unbelievable just how unprepared they were in the the eventuality that some of their receivers could get hurt. Coming into the season with five receivers, I mean, come on. Yeah, and then you get Devontae Adams. But the thing about that is Ty Montgomery got hurt earlier in the year, and then Devontae Adams gets hurt the week before last, and then you lose Cobb basically on the first, in the first quarter to that. I mean, that's just a freak accident to hurt your chest falling like that. I can see, you know, like losing your win and going to the sideline and recuperate, but having to go to the hospital overnight, I mean, I hear you, but how can you really see that coming, you know what I mean, on that first drive? But you've got to have somebody there in the backup because this is still tackle football and, and people get that's hurt. That's what so. your practice spot is for. Yeah, agreed, uh, agreed. Yeah, but that was one of the best ones. That was, I mean, that was a fantastic finish. That was a really good game, uh, uh, that Arizona-Green Bay game. That was a really good game. And how about uh, the coin flip? Like, how heavy is that coin, right? You know, is that made of platinum? <laughs> you know, that it doesn't flip? 
<laughs> it just went straight up. It comes straight back down. Uh, but I do like the fact that the rest, you know, it doesn't say in the rule book that you have to flip it again. But I like the fact that they did because that's just not fair. You know, if I put it heads up and I flip it straight up and it doesn't flip, I mean, I, I, I'll give them a mulligan for doing that again. I really think that was the best decision. Even weirder is apparently this is not the first time this particular referee has had coin flipping troubles. Now, I don't know how much they make, but uh, <laughs> I'm available if you need somebody to flip a coin. I, I know, right? I, I'll do it. You know, I'll do it just at the cost of getting me a hotel and a, and a plane ticket and a, and a exactly. ticket to the game. <laughs> I'll flip it for free. Which leads me, and you may not be able to see me. None of you can see me right now, but rest assured, I am patting myself on the back with both <laughs> hands right now. My surprise call of the week, which really should not have been surprise, Carolina and Seattle. And the score may have been close, but this game was anything but. My friend, I know you watched it because we were texting all the way through it. Could you kind of tell the smugness? Yeah, I, I, I know. I was like, oh, this guy over here uh, is in there. I told you, I told you, JQ. But you know what was really surprising to me is that Carolina looked like the team that had been to two Super Bowls and was looking for the third and not Seattle. I mean, Seattle, and don't give you this, you know, it's 10 p.m. when they flown to the East Coast. These dudes are flying on a charter jet made for, you know, 6'2", 300-pound guys. You know, they're not sitting in coach, you know, sharing peanuts. <laughs> you know, they're sitting there. I don't want to hear it anyway. Well, I mean, you don't want to go yeah. on the road, win. Yeah, but I mean, but you're not traveling by Amtrak across the country is my point. You know, you're, you're first class everything getting there, but they just look so unprepared to play that game in that first half, and you know you're going to get a team's best punch when you go on the road, but to go down 31 nothing when you're trying to get to your third Super Bowl in a row, I, I was just shocked at that, and the people that get mad at Carolina, you have to, you almost have to play that second half like that, because if you come out slinging the ball, and you Cam fumbles on a, on a drop back, and they get a, a cheap touchdown, and he throws an interception when you could have ran the ball and play small ball and try to kill the clock and you lose the game because of that, you would have said, oh, Carolina didn't play more conservative. They had a 31-point lead. So I'm not really buying that piece of it. You know, when you go in 31 enough, you got to feel like if we just do this, we should still win this game because they're not going to go and come out here and score 31, 32 points to beat us at home. So I, I'm not really that upset about that. But I was just surprised at the start of that game. But my man, Luke Keekley, I do like Luke. You know, he's a Cincinnati boy, Cincinnati stand-up. Uh, that was a really big pick six to put that score to 14 and nothing. But, again, you know, Russell Wilson missed two bombs where he just overthrew guys uh, that could have changed the complexion of that game. But I was just shocked that they just they just weren't ready to play uh, from the get-go. It goes to what I was saying last week. Seattle was overrated coming to this game. People were looking at Seattle coming in. Oh, they've been to the last two. And for some reason, Seattle has this aura of their, they can't lose, despite the contrary and the fact that they didn't win their division and that they would have had no chance against Arizona to begin with. This was a team that it's almost like the Patriots or where people are going to pick them just because of the name recognition. I mean, this team was Russell Wilson and who else? I mean, there's nobody else. Cam Chancellor can't cover tight ends. Yeah. That doesn't bother Cam Newton because all he throws to is a tight end. He doesn't have to really face a legion of boom. He just has to have Greg Olson win his one-on-one against Cam Chancellor. And that's, that's one of these things with Seattle. I don't think that they match up well against Carolina if they were fully healthy, if Jimmy Graham and Marshawn were there. Which, by the way, this could be the last time not only that you see Marshawn in Seattle, but this may be the last time you see Marshawn, period, 
there are rumblings. And last season, he was very close to retiring. This year, there's no way he's back in Seattle at that cap cost. So this could now be the Thomas Rawls show in the backfield in Seattle. Yeah, and I, and I think they have to, right? Because I don't know if I'll, I, I wouldn't redo Cam Chancellor's contract because that's a bad precedent to set. He's got two years left on it. Um, and like you said, he's been atrocious against the tight end this year between Greg Olson and Tyler Eifert and a couple other guys. They have just roasted him. Um, but outside of that as well, um, Philly Brown got loose on Sherman a couple of times. I was really shocked at that. Uh, and and you got to start paying guys because, I mean, Michael Bennett is one of their few just disruptors on that defensive line. He's going to need a new contract. So you can't give Lynch that kind of money at his age. And I do like what I saw out of Thomas Rawls. And we talked about it. Uh, they devalue the running back position in terms of the draft, but that's one of the easiest positions to replace is running back. And you can't give uh, Marshawn Lynch because he's got so much wear and tear on his body at this point. Uh, but somebody's going to give him a check. Um, and I think he's going to play. I really do. I don't know if he wants to. I think he's got more pride about it than people think. Uh, he's not going to go out like that because that was just a bad showing. And he really couldn't do a whole lot because they got down so early, and Fred Jackson is going to be their third, their, uh, their passing back. So he got a lot more playing time than, than Marshawn did. But, oh, man, again, I, I was just shocked at it. You know, I'm generally going to go with the team with the best quarterback or the team with the best, you know, playoff experience on their roster. And that's what, what led me to – Seattle, and they just came out like they didn't even know, like, we got a game today? What? Oh, where's my shoulder pads? Oh, let's go play then. You know, like, they didn't even know they were, you know, they didn't like they were playing. So that was that was more shocking to me. It's not that I didn't think Carolina could beat them. It was more that Seattle just came out so incredibly flat. Uh, and I totally agree. I think he, I think uh, Marshall is, is done in Seattle for sure, especially that cat box. He's going to have to come back at a much reduced salary, and I just don't think he's going to. Now that we're down to four teams, we're going to go ahead and get our predictions. We're taking a little bit longer on this topic than I thought. But, I mean, when you've got two of these guys going at this like this and we're giving you as good as we can, time is never really an abstract. It's never on your side. So, uh, go real quick. What do you got for me these next two games? You know, I'm going to go back to what happened in the wild card round. Just to be quick, I'm going to go with the road teams. We talked about Peyton Manning and his noodle arm. I just don't think that's going to get it done against New England, especially if the weather is any kind of bad or like it was this past week. I got New England. And I'm going to go with Arizona only because I think Seattle started to show some of those weaknesses in the secondary without Charles Tillman, without Ben Rickery. Arizona likes to throw the ball down the field. And, yes, you have Josh Norman, but you got to defend Floyd, you got to defend Fitzgerald, and you got to defend um, Brown. Um, and, John Brown. Yeah, those other two have can, can just go off. And then you also have lost Jared Allen for a broken foot. I mean, doubtful, he's out. You're not playing the next week with a broken foot. So now you've, you've, you've weakened the pass rush, and you already got depleted secondary against a team that likes to go down the field. I like Arizona. I'm not surprised you picked that. Uh, I agree with you on New England. Really, Brady doesn't have a good record against Peyton the last season, and he's not particularly good on the road the last four years. But this isn't the Peyton Manning that you're used to seeing. And with Chris Harris being hurt, it's going to be a keep to leave on an island. I'm not sure Bradley Roby is ready to kind of step up. If he's going to, it'll be against New England because they don't have a real distinct number two outside of Gronk. But I don't know who they're going to put to cover Gronk. I don't think Von Miller can really cover him. He's not a he's not a, a drop back type of linebacker. Demarcus Ware mm-hmm. isn't a drop back backer. Danny Trevathan isn't fast enough. Brandon Marshall's fast enough, but he's not strong enough. 
So I think New England pulls that one out. But I'm going to stick with Carolina going all the way through. I've said it before, this team just has that about them. What Cam Newton has done better than anything else is he has given this Carolina team ridiculous amount of swagger. I don't think David Johnson is going to be able to run or really get involved at all. I think that was a mismatch that didn't get used very well in the Green Bay game. Uh, I don't think they'll be able to use it at all in this game. Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis both are fast enough to cover David Johnson out of the backfield. I think you'll make them one-dimensional like Carolina's wanting to do to everybody. I think Norman is going to shadow Fitzgerald, and they're going to take their chances with Michael Floyd and John Brown beating them. And I think Carolina pulls out a close one. I think it leads us to a rematch of, I believe it's 4 and it'll be Carolina and New England going at it again. Yeah, the uh, Jake Delholm Super Bowl. Yes. <laughs> Delhomie. But moving on yeah, quick, no. we've got to yeah. move along here to our next topic. Uh, just a little bit of the draft news coming out. I don't know how close you've been paying attention to this. Uh, I was getting ready to say what a star-studded class this was and how down the SEC could potentially be this year. Well, lo and behold, just about every big-name SEC player who has eligibility has decided he's coming back. I mean, yeah. if this doesn't give you and change that saving mindset that people have, I don't know what will. You have Jonathan Allen, O.J. Howard, Reuben Foster, all coming back. Because Eddie Jackson as well, by the way, who has who had soared his draft stock up into at least the third round, more likely the second round if he had had a good combine. Uh, they all want to come back, and the reason I believe, and it has to be the reason, is they want to be on that team where Saban finally moves ahead of Bear. And you throw that in with Kendall Beckwith from LSU, who was going to be at the very least a top 42 pick, and Tredavious White from LSU, who was looked at as being a top half of the first rounder, all coming back. The SEC West it had a chance to be down. It looks like it's going to be even better than it was this year. Yeah, I saw that, and especially from the uh, from the Alabama players, I said, wow, you, you, you won a national championship, and I don't know if O.J. Howard's uh, stock could go any higher. I mean, they, they, they no. didn't use him as much as I thought they should use him, but that game he had, the championship game, I mean, like you said, that, that goes to the culture that Nick Saban is, has produced there in Tuscaloosa because, again, I don't know what else he could do, and it's only going to come back a little bit unless he just balls out uh, next year. Uh, but you mentioned the SEC, but also uh, the Big Ten. Uh, you know, Jake Butt from Michigan is an outstanding tight end who I thought was a lot to go ahead and, and go. And he's coming back to be part of the Harbaugh revival. And then you got Desmond King, who's one of the good cornerbacks, who would have been probably second round at worst, maybe, uh, from Iowa coming back. So it's, it's impressive to me, um, these guys. And I, and I like it because you never can, you can't get these years back, right? Um, you're going to always be getting older, but you can get these years back when you're playing and you have this atmosphere, this college atmosphere, where you have that school on the, on the front of your shirt. So I take my hat off to him. And plus, you know, it's a much bigger um, policy now to put the insurance on yourself, right, in case you get hurt to get exactly. some of that money back. So, you know, they don't if lose. only your Ohio State players lose. have done this. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but they're so loaded because if you look at it, we moved back into the uh, to the number one position uh, for the recruitment of this year, uh, recruiting class. So um, I, I think he's going to continue to just to kind of reload at Ohio State. And I wasn't really shocked at that, uh, at that moment from Ohio State. I was more shocked, like you said, at those SEC guys, especially the Alabama guys, coming off a national championship, coming back. But, you know, kudos to them. You only get college, so, you know, one time in your life, enjoy it. You know, you have the rest of your life to be an adult. 
speaking of Bama, Ohio State, and Michigan, one thing they all have in common is high-profile, quote-unquote, great coaches. And with all these players coming back, it just leads me to buy into that more. So what I want to get from you now is, we're at an unprecedented era of college football where it seems just about every team has at least a good coach. Coaching is so far ahead of where it was even 10 years ago that it's unbelievable. The parity in college is second to none in really any sport. So real quick, why don't you rattle me off your top five coaches? Oh, well, I think number one and number two, you know where I'm going. Uh, it's got to be Nick Saban at number one. I think it's got to be Urban Meyer at number two if you're just talking about championships in terms of active coaches. Um, a lot, he gets a lot of uh, grief in um, Baton Rouge, but I think Les Niles is up there. He's got a national championship. I'm going to put him three. Uh, and then it's hard to fill out the rest of it, and I hate to say this out loud, but I think it's probably some – order of Jim Harbaugh and Dabo Swinney at four and five. I think those would be my five. And I like David Shaw at Stanford. Um, he's sitting right outside I was of there. I probably actually... should have bumped it to ten. Just go ahead and go <laughs> with ten. That was my fault. I should have bumped that. Uh, no, 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 no. Because I, 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 those are my six that just jump out to me right now. I think you got some other guys that, you know, can, that can come up and down. Uh, and they're still – big games from winning away from jumping further up. But in terms of those five or maybe a 5A and 5B, because I do like David Shaw, those would be my six that I look at and say, you know, those are the cream of the crop for me. I don't have a problem with your one. I think Nick Saban is obviously number one. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'll agree that it's Urban at number two. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do think this year will kind of put paid to that because if he has – this is where he got into trouble at Florida when he had multiple people leaving – his system, he had mm-hmm. a lot of trouble coming out. And the end of those 40 years were not pretty years. Uh, people kind of forgot it because as soon as he came to Ohio State, they went a natty. But uh, this will tell me a lot about Urban. But I will put Urban at number two as of now. I'm going to go with Dabo at number three. I think okay. it's between Dabo and Harbaugh. Um, I just think Dabo is a better – I don't want to say a better coach because Harbaugh is a fantastic coach. I think Dabo is better all around. I think Dabo is better with children – better with parents, better with his boosters, better with his school. I think Dabo is just more even keeled. Sure. But I have no problems with Harbaugh being three either. Um, I don't have Les Miles in my top five right now. I do have him on this top ten list. We'll get to him in a minute. I think uh, I think after your – I think after Dabo and Harbaugh, I think I might go – I, I got to give it to Jimbo – but I'm going to caveat yeah, that I where I want to see what he does without Jameis, mm-hmm. as well as Tom Herman. I I know he's only been a head coach for one year, but the difference that you saw in Ohio State with him leaving, plus how good that Houston program was, shows you just how good of a coach Tom Herman is. And it, it shows you really just how much these coaches rely on their assistant coaches. Um, yeah. David Shaw at Stanford, I'd put him up there. I think I'll put David Shaw right ahead of Les Miles. Because LSU is a program that is just filled ridiculous talent levels. Uh, pro players coming in and out of there like it's a factory. Uh, Stanford is not that. They're, sure. And I know it's a much weaker division. Pac-12 is nowhere near as good as people think it is, nowhere near as good as the SEC or even the Big Ten right now. Um, but David Shaw has Stanford as actually a team that you have to game plan for and be careful for and actually – be on your toes to play them 
And uh, I think I'll round out with uh, Mark D'Antonio over at Michigan State. I know they never seem to win the big one. I know they seem to be just the Big Ten version of Georgia. But you're going <laughs> up against – directly going up against Michigan and Ohio State every year. So you're bound to yeah. lose recruits from that. Um, he's a Nick Saban disciple as well, and D'Antonio always has his teams. His teams are always extremely balanced teams. They always have good NFL talent that comes out of there. Not many superstar players outside of Le'Veon Bell, and nobody really thought Bell would be what he is now. Correct. His teams always come to play. They make very few mistakes. Uh, I, I can't go against him. Yeah, absolutely. And shout out, sorry to to my Seminole fans out there. I, Jimbo just slipped my mind. It's, he's got a national championship, and still he had to recruit Jamie Swiston, coach him up, and get that system in place. Because I mean, he had Rashawn Green as well. He had a nice wide receiver group. Always a dominant defense, pretty much a Florida State. So sorry about that, Florida State fans. He just slipped my mind. Um, I didn't want to seem like too much of a, a homer with Herman, but you're absolutely right. The 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 downturn that the Ohio State offense took and the uptake that Houston did uh, just from one year of losing him at Ohio State and then him going to Houston is amazing. Um, and I think Kevin Sumlin with what happened this year with his, with his, uh, with his quarterback took him down a, a segment because he, for a second there, he was really one of those uh, hot head coaching candidates, but I think that's kind of sour people on him a little bit, what's going on there. And, uh, and, uh, oh, no, he was, he's yeah. still a hot yeah. name. Philadelphia, he, was, he was high up on Philadelphia's list, and Sumlin said he didn't want to go up there yet. He kind of wants to rebuild his image. Um, Ooh, I, don't know. I guess we'll move on. We'll touch basketball a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you've been watching any more than I have, and I hate to say I haven't been watching very much this season. It's been a dull season. It seems like it's Golden State and everybody else, and that's including the Cavs with LeBron. It just seems like it's Golden State so far ahead that they're really just competing with themselves at this point. Yeah, they're chasing history, and if you if you saw any of that or saw the box score, they just destroyed Cleveland last night uh, in Cleveland. I mean, it was a whooping, 30-some-plus points, and at, some, at one point they were up 40-plus points in Cleveland on LeBron and the Cavaliers. So, yeah, Golden State is really the only one that is, to me, much CTV in terms of the NBA. Uh, you know San Antonio is going to be there, and, and I think they're doing exactly what they want to do. Everybody keep all the praise on Golden State. You know, we're going to work LaMarcus Aldridge into our organization and into our system. And at the end of the year, we're going to be right there. If you look at it, they're only like, I think, like two or three games behind them in the loss column. San Antonio was having a fantastic year. But Golden State is just, you know, they're the new, they're the new showtime, right? You know, you had the Lakers with Magic Johnson in the 80s. Now you have Steph Curry, you know, in the 2010s at, uh, at, at Golden State. So I, I agree. Um, but I think you're going to see San Antonio uh, uh, rise up. Uh, I think, you know, at some point LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love got to get in the room and say, we're too good to be getting blown out like this. They're only 12-7, and seven, I think, against teams that have a 500 or better record this year. They've got to do better. Um, and, you know, my one dark horse that I just don't understand how they can't get together, and I don't know if it's because of the health, it's really been Washington. I like that backcourt of John Wall I and Bradley Beal. And then you get yeah, they have a lot of talent, and they just are totally underachieving there. Uh, but to your original point, yeah, it's, it's Golden State and everybody else. But I, I put San Antonio just underneath them on a line by themselves because San Antonio is also having a fantastic year so far. That's a good point about San Antonio. I have I haven't been paying a whole lot of attention yet. But it's it's weird. It has to do, I, I would assume, with the Hawks. Um, last year and a few yeah. years before that, I haven't missed a game. This year's Hawks team, though, is 
a classic Atlanta team. They're going to be middle to pack. They're going to maybe make it out of the first round, and there's no guarantees on that. Um, <laughs> get a mediocre draft pick, rinse, and repeat. They don't have a real go-to guy outside of Paul Millsap. They're going to lose Al Horford in the offseason. He's not going to re-sign here. So it'll be Atlanta right back to being Atlanta. Um, the the thing that. that Steph Curry's doing, I, trust me, I do, I would rather you take the Sixers approach and bomb out and at least get number one picks and bring yourself back up. But that'll never happen in Atlanta. Mm-mm. We don't have the fan base to stick with it long enough to do exactly. that. We don't like showing up to games when teams are good, much less when they're bad. Uh, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. I expect I expect a few changes this offseason. Outside of Al Horford, I think you see either Jeff Teague or Dennis Schroeder leave. Because you you just got to find a way to bring in some more talent. Kent Bazemore has played. Kent Bazemore has been the Hawks' MVP outside of Paul yeah. Millsap. Bazemore has yeah. been true revelation. An undrafted player um, come in and just put it to it. Plays great defense. He's just too small to really go up against a lot of these three guards. And the Tim Hardaway trade for the year. Oh. Can I just go ahead and call that a bust? I mean, yeah, you go ahead. You I'm pretty sure he's yeah. played under 50 minutes this entire season. Yeah, that's you know you could have just sold the pick for all that instead of getting getting Tim Hardaway out of that. I, I agree. Uh, I'm not quite sure uh, what the thinking was on that. And me and you've had conversations about it. I think Atlanta's best bet is is for Jeff Teague. He's the only one I think that can get his own shot consistently. And I know they have that, you know, San Antonio East mentality where we want to share the ball. But, you know, he's the only one in the fourth quarter that, you know, at some point you, you, you have to play a little iso ball and say, here, you take over, we need buckets, and if you don't get it, at least you collapse the defense and then you give everybody else open shots. Uh, and I think they're going to have to kind of give him that green light. And maybe if you see that happen, maybe it convinces Al Horford to stay. And, but I hate that Atlanta spent so much time in helping Al Horford develop to losing for nothing and having to trade him at the deadline. I would love the NBA to get some sort of franchise tag like the NFL has because it's, it's got to be heartbreaking just to, to, put, to spend that much time in him and then him walk away for nothing. You can't do anything about it. That's all well and good to model yourself after San Antonio and to be San Antonio East, quote-unquote, except for one teeny <laughs> tiny problem. They have Tim Duncan. You yeah, don't have Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan. <laughs> Having right. Tim Duncan is what allows them to play that style because at any point in time, maybe not now in his later years, but at any point in time over the past 15 or so seasons, when all else failed, you could just give him the ball down low and let him work against somebody or give it to him at about 18 feet and let him bank a shot in, and he could go in and he could do that for you. Anytime you have a greatest ever – or a top fiver, or a greatest yeah. of all time at a position, then your standards and your system is kind of put on a curve. Because when all else fails, that type of talent will trump what it's going against. So the Hawks, Agreed. I like I like the ball sharing. I like the fact that they can get marginal talent and they can put them in a system that fits them. But if you really want to take that next step, you do have to get a go-to person because playoff basketball is near – you have to have ISO. You can you can share the ball, and San Antonio showed you, but what happened when the going got dirty? They went to Tim Duncan or they went to Kawhi Leonard, and those two won their individual matchups. Somebody has to win their individual matchup, 
you are going to win in the playoffs. And if not, if you're not going to win in the playoffs, there is no point to even making the playoffs the way the NBA is set up right now. Totally agree with all those points. This kind of gets me to the next point. It's a little bit of a sad moment. This will be the last one we touch on before any of our rants. Uh, everybody knows this is Kobe's last year. Um, he started off horribly. Uh, he's still not the Kobe everybody knows. But as far as final seasons and coming off a devastating injury, it's not as bad as some of the others. This isn't as bad as Jordan with the Wizards. Uh, this wasn't as bad as Magic's final year. Um He's he's having an okay season. It's still way too much money, and it's taking time away from developing Lakers. But for Kobe's going out farewell tour, I'm a little shocked. He's sharing the ball at a career high rate, by the way. He's he's mm-hmm. never passed as much as he does right now. Um, and I'm not, it doesn't look like he's going to get in now. But would you elect Kobe and let him start one more All Star game? Yeah, well, the thing about it is he's sharing because he just can't get to his spots anymore. It's part of the reason. Is, yeah. You know, nobody nobody's buying that double or triple pump fake. They know he can't jump. So he's got to share the ball or he's going to get embarrassed. You know, I think the – a piece of me says, yeah, and a piece of me says, oh, because I'm a Lakers fan. So that's my team. Um, I think if the fans voting me, he should get to play, you know. Um, and he's probably not going to play a whole lot of minutes anyway because I don't think his Achilles right now is going to allow that to happen. I think it kind of reminds me of, um, you know, Kyle Ripken. Um, not, you know, a little – Different sport, but you know if they vote him in, you know he should get to play, uh, and that's what happens when you open up the, the voting to the fans. Uh, but I th- also think that if the coaches get a vote, they may put him in because everybody wants to see him play one more All Star game. But I hate to bump somebody who's having a fantastic first half of the NBA season to not get in for a Kobe farewell tour. Maybe if you get you know tweak the rules a little bit where you get one kind of exception spot for this kind of situation, so you put him in, but you don't take it away from somebody that's also deserving in terms of actual numbers and not a lifetime achievement award kind of piece, then, yeah. But I, I per, me personally, I would love to see it, but I would hate for somebody having a great year to get bumped because of it. You see, I'm kind of kind of going the opposite direction. I've never really been a huge Kobe fan. I respected his game. I mean, he's one of the he's one of the greatest players of all time. He's a shortlist two-guard of all time behind only Michael. Um, and I think he's the closest you'll ever see to Michael's style of play. Uh, yeah. The comparisons between LeBron and Michael make no sense, but Michael and Kobe, that's about where it's at. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would. I would let Kobe start. I mean, the all-star game in the NFL means less than nothing. I mean, there there's no sort of real importance placed on it. There's no defense played. It's basically just a showcase where they all just kind of stand around and do some dunks. I mean, a couple of years ago we saw Brandon Jennings and Steph Curry just randomly go and shake dudes down and double dribble three or four times, but nobody really cares. It's all about entertainment, right. and it's just kind of a show. It's like, hey, here you go. So I I would love to see Kobe get one last start in it just to kind of let him go out on top, and hopefully so he doesn't get that itch to come back. I would do it. I don't think you lose anything from it, and I don't think the NBA really loses anything from it either. No, agreed. And he's not going to come back. He's done. Uh, but the only piece about it is that person that gets bumped because of him that's having it, that also goes into your contract, right? You should say I was an all-star, and you you put that into that, you get a little bit more money, uh, where it should probably maybe be deserved, where Kobe's already made, uh, you know, a gazillion dollars. So that's my only point about it. Me, as a, I would love to see it, but I would hate to have somebody else be affected by it because it's, it's just more than that. You're right. It is a, a, basically a showcase just, you know, for everybody to go ooh and ah, and then it maybe gets a little serious in the fourth quarter when, you know, 
people start playing for the difference and the winner loser money share. But you know that guy that gets bumped and can't take that All Star put on his you know resume for his next contract that affects him more so than it would Kobe. That's my only reason for it. But totally agree. We'd love to see Kobe play one more. That brings us to the end. We are just at our rant time. JQ, why don't you start us off here, buddy? What's got you burning? Uh, well, you know, I've, I've had a week to kind of sit back and, and, and let the, the foolishness wash over me that happened in that Cincinnati-Pittsburgh uh, game. But honestly, I'm still there in terms of Marvin Lewis. I'm looking at saying, in what other NFL city can you be 0-7 in the playoffs and still keep your job? There is no other NFL city where that happens except for Cincinnati. And the reason being is because they're so scared of going back to being the Bungles and being 3-13 and that they are accepting mediocrity, all right? I can get to the playoffs and get to the playoffs and being one of those last teams standing, even though we all know we don't have a shot in the dark because our coach is terrible and he's going to burn two timeouts in the first and third quarter anyway, gets me to the point where I am now. Let's, and where you are, with, where you were with Georgia and Mark Rick, let's stop accepting mediocrity, uh, fear of sliding back down the scale. You know what I mean? Let's push to get over that hump. You have the talent, and just because we're a smaller market team doesn't mean it can't happen. Green Bay has titles. Green Bay's a small market team. You can do it, but you've got to put the time in and get the right people in the organization and be positioned correctly. I mean, how many losses does it take in the playoffs before you say this guy's not the guy? 10, 11, 12? I mean, you know, these are precious times. You, there are a lot of executives that have said that the Bengals roster is one of the most talented in the NFL, and you're doing nothing with it. Come on, Mike Brown. Let's stop going to status quo. Come on, Bengals fans. If you stop going to it and you stop supporting it, don't make the change. If not now, win. Good stuff, my friend. Uh, I'm going to switch it up. You know, rants don't always have to be negative. I'm going to end yeah. on a positive note today. Hey, there uh, you go. Damian Lillard, and actually i got to thank you for showing me this. Damian Lillard, not just one of my favorite point guards in the game, not just a fantastic baseball player, this dude can flow. And yeah. when, I, when I tell you he can flow, I mean it. He He's better than at least half of what you're going to hear on the radio these days. And this song that he did with, uh, I believe the name is Paul Ray, uh, mm-hmm. that he just put it out, it's an incredible song, one. And the incredible positive message was really not something I was expecting to see out of an inner city kid and an NBA player. If you catch my meaning, they're not always, you know, the most enlightened of the bunch. I don't expect any sports figure to really right. kind of be the most dialed in person off the field. Um, But Damian Lillard, all I have to say is I am wildly impressed and even more of a fan now. And uh, as we we go out tonight, I'm actually going to play this song as we go out. I don't have anything else. Jaquan, always a pleasure, my friend. We'll do this again next week as we let Dane's bars kind of play us out. If you want to look it up on YouTube, he's under uh, Dane Dollar. I forget the name of the song, but I'm sure they'll say it. I think it's bigger than that. Yes, sir. You're right. Enjoy it, folks. Have a good night. We'll see you next week, 6 o'clock. Another tense night in Curtis, Missouri, with police in riot gear firing stun grenades and tear gas in a chaotic scene. Dozens of people were arrested overnight, some 31 arrests.
the curfew was lifted, replaced by new rules prohibiting protesters from congregating. As protesters demand justice from the unarmed teenager fatally shot by police 10 days ago, National Guard troops also patrolling the streets. Look for God when you're trying to fight the odds. Need to look up to the sky and let go of all the pride. The game changing. We're trying to make arrangements and let go of that anger. Put that food into our brain instead. Aiming steady at the youth. We trying to change culture. New leaders, we ain't coming from that same holster. Been in that heat of the moment. We from that same toaster. Emotions rolling. Just know I've been on that same coaster. That same heavyweight to carry up to heaven's gates. Know that heat rise. The devil got to levitate. We elevate. Son, no hesitation. We was born to lose, but we gon' get it done. Bigger than me. 